In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Over the last six weeks, our gospel lessons have been tracking Jesus' movement. We began in the Roman town of Caesarea Philippi, then to Galilee, then south to Judea, and now we find ourselves on the road with Jesus, making his ominous journey toward Jerusalem. In each of these places, Jesus performed wonders that restored people to health and to wholeness. He also sparred with his opponents over various issues, and he taught his disciples many things. But one thing he taught them just didn't sink in. So we hear that he has to teach it to them again and again, three times to be exact. He teaches his disciples that he's actually walking to his death. In Caesarea Philippi, after Peter makes that famous declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus then tells his disciples that he will be condemned, killed, and after three days, rise again. If you remember, Peter can't handle that revelation, and he tries to stop Jesus, but to no avail. As they pass through Galilee, Jesus tells them a second time that he will be betrayed, killed, and rise again. His disciples still don't understand and this time they lapse into this argument about which of them is actually the greatest. But now they're on the road to Jerusalem. Jesus' time is near at hand. So Jesus tries one more time to prepare them for what is coming. Now the problem is, we skipped those verses this week. For over a month of Sundays, we've read nearly every verse of chapters 9 and 10 of the gospel according to Mark, and now suddenly we skip three verses. Apparently, the framers of our lectionary didn't think we needed to hear Jesus' death and resurrection predictions three times. But I disagree. So here is the third one, which is actually sandwiched between last week's reading and the one that we heard read this morning. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. So of the three predictions, this one is the longest and certainly the most graphic. It's the only one that mentions his mistreatment at the hands of the Roman soldiers. And in fact, all three predictions are a little different 
but they all share one common phrase. He will be killed, and then after three days, he will rise again. But even after this jolting attempt at telling them the plan, the notion that their Lord could ever suffer such a tragic demise still doesn't sink in with the disciples. And this time they fall into an argument about their places of prominence when Jesus enters into his glory. It's almost as if they're trying to completely ignore this terrible reality that will soon be upon them by somehow creating their own distractions. They simply want to keep changing the subject every time Jesus brings up such heavy issues as life and death. Or maybe it'd be better to say death and life. Because you see this small distinction, this tiny flipping of these two words actually makes all the difference. The disciples put their fingers in their ears the moment Jesus starts talking about dying in Jerusalem. And so they end up missing the most important part. They miss that life comes after death. They miss the rising again. And I dare say, we miss it too. We miss the resurrection because we tend to place it in chronological order of our own physical deaths. Which makes sense because the death of our bodies is something that can terrify us. So our hope in this resurrection gives us comfort and hope. And let me be clear, this chronological thinking about the resurrection is not wrong, but it's also not the whole picture. The whole picture is actually drawn on this canvas of eternity. If we believe that we are given the gift of eternal life and the power of this resurrection, then we already have it. Even now, here this morning, long before our physical deaths, eternity, after all, has no start date or end date. But this eternal life, this resurrection life, it actually does have one kind of beginning. That is the day we awaken to this beautiful reality. The day we decide to participate in God's mission of renewal. The day we choose to live. And this awakening doesn't happen just once, but again and again, because just like those disciples, we can be a little clueless and stubborn some of the time. But how does this awakening happen? Remember, we're not talking life and death here. We're talking death and life. Each moment of awakening to resurrection life begins with a little death. And here's what I mean. Notice each time Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection, he follows his disciples' lack of understanding with a calling 
for them and for us to let a little diseased part of ourselves die. After the first prediction, he says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny yourself. In other words, let your own will die. Too often we let our selfish or petty or abusive pieces of ourselves be in charge. We fall into these death-dealing behaviors when we become scared, which is why Jesus tells us so many times not to be afraid. Let your will die a little death, he says, so mine can come alive in you. After the second prediction, Jesus puts a little child among his arguing disciples and says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Welcome the lowest of the low. In other words, let your own presumption of privilege and status die. Too often we allow ourselves to get caught up in death-dealing hierarchies, ranking systems we have built around money or race or any number of different ways we can differentiate ourselves from each other. Let your presumption of privilege die a little death, Jesus says, so my compassion for all life can come alive in you. And today, after the third prediction, Jesus silences the disciples' anger towards James and John when he says, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. Serve each other. In other words, let your own complacency die. Too often we expect life to be easy. We like to coast along, untroubled by the death-dealing evils of the world around us. And to be honest, life is easy when we ignore everything that makes it hard. Jesus invites us to awaken to the power of servanthood so we can help others awaken to the power of the resurrection in their own lives. Let your complacency die a little death, says Jesus, so my mission of healing and reconciliation can come alive in you. Three times Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection. Three times he encourages us to let parts of ourselves die these little deaths in order that we might awaken again and again to this beautiful reality of resurrection life today. As we live into this reality, as we participate in this resurrection life, remember this. Our faith is not a matter of life and death. Jesus turned that all around. 
Our faith is really a matter of death and life.